God is good, isn't he? Thanks, Melissa. Appreciate you. We want to welcome our first-time guests this morning, and I met a few this morning. Thank you for being here. And if you have not already, we'd love for you to fill out an information card, and, and you can just leave that right where you are, right where you're seating, and we'll pick those up after service. And uh, if you uh, are new or have only been here once or twice, uh, we've been in a series that we've called When Love Speaks, Seven Final Words from the Cross. The last seven statements that Jesus made. And today, we're going to conclude that series. And man, I've been excited. And when I think about famous last words, I understand that there are books that are actually that are written with famous last sayings of famous people. Uh, for example, there was a criminal who was being executed uh, by a firing squad. His name was James Rogers. And they asked him before they were going to load him with lead, they said, do you have any final requests? And all he could think of is, yes, could I have a bulletproof vest? <laughs> Famous last word. That's a true story. There's another story that I read. A Civil War commander with the Union Army, General John Sedwick. He was going into battle, and uh, his famous last words uh, were this, that he said, from a distance, he sees the enemy, and he says this, he says, they couldn't hit an elephant from that distance. And next thing you know, he's dead. They hit him. Surprise. That's a true story. How many have ever heard of Pancho Villa back in the early 1900s? Kind of the Robin Hood for the, for the Mexican people, uh, the Mexi Mexican Revolutionary War leader. Um, he, the, the phrase that many people say that he was hated by thousands but loved by millions. And when he was about to die, his famous last words, and you may have heard this, he says, don't let it end like this. Tell people that I said something. And it's like, okay, Pancho Villa, he said something. Well, today we're not going to look at other famous people. We're going to look at the most famous, loving, caring person's last words, Jesus Christ. And I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23 as we conclude our series, When Love Speaks, these final words from the cross. Today is going to be a word of trust. And I've been praying and asking God for just uh, to speak to our hearts. Let's look at Luke chapter 23, verse 44. And I'll tell you, if you don't have a Bible, just stand up, grab a Bible off one of the back tables, follow along. We're going to be flipping through lots of scripture and you're going to want to be following along. This is what it says in Luke chapter 23, verse 44. It says, it was now about the sixth hour the darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. We don't know what that was. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It could have been a, a, a lunar eclipse or, uh, you know, who knows? It could have just been really overcast, uh, dark and cloudy. Um, but then it says, the curtain of the temple, this is the temple in Jerusalem, was torn in two, opening up for all eternity the opportunity for us to boldly come into the throne of God. There's no barrier. Each one of us can be in God's presence. Before that, it was only the priests and only at certain times of the year. Really powerful. We could talk about that for a whole service if we wanted, but we're not. Verse 46, Jesus called out at that moment in a loud voice, Father, 
Into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Verse 47, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. If you flip with me quickly to Mark chapter 15, verse 37, it's not up on the screen, but it says here, with a loud voice, Jesus breathed his last, his last breath. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion same story, who stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry, and he saw how he died. He said, surely this, was, this man was the Son of God. Before we look at the words of Christ, I want to just take a second and look at the thought that this Roman soldier, this centurion, must have seen hundreds, if not thousands, of crucifixions. It was standard practice in that day to kill their thieves, their murderers, in, by crucifixion. But this was different. This man had to be innocent, righteous, like we read in Luke. He had to be the son of God, the centurion said. And my question is, what was different about this crucifixion? Well, I think this centurion... This Roman soldier heard the seven final words of Jesus. He heard the word of forgiveness, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How many know criminals don't say things like that, right? He heard the word of assurance to the thief on the cross as Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He heard the word of love as he listened or as he talked to his mother, Mary, and to the disciple he loved, John. And he was taking care of details for his family in great, while he was experiencing great excruciating pain. He heard, heard a word of victory. It is finished. There was nothing left to be completed. And what's interesting, in these final words, every time we read it, in each and out of the accounts, it says it was in a loud voice, or he shouted. And I'll tell you, I've had the privilege of being with people that are breathing their last words. Pastor Pale, you, may, uh, you see this a lot, uh, their final words. And Pastor Pale, you, know, you work with at the hospice there, do, do people shout their last words? Not usually. Usually it's more of a whisper or a moan, certainly quiet. And then especially being crucified, blood drained, beaten, you're not going to shout anything. But Jesus, he didn't shout in anger at this moment. He didn't shout in despair or defeat. It was a shout of victory, a confident, courageous trust in God. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And for over 2,000 years, we've repeated those phrases or something similar when we're facing danger or difficulty, depression or defeat, disaster. And certainly, we talk about that at funerals when there is death. Today, I want to look at four of these four phrases that we want to break down into your spirit, uh, or into your hands, I commit my spirit, and look at 
uh, that, that as we experience some dark days in our own lives, what can we learn from each of these words? Each of these words of this phrase have significance, and they just kind of scream out to us that we must trust in our Heavenly Father. It's when love spoke, it was a, his final last words was a word of trust. And so when we face difficulty, which we will or maybe we are, when we face stress or tough times, we need to remember four things. And I'll just say it like this. The first thing we need to remember is this. I have a Father in heaven who loves me. You notice here in the scripture, it says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father. At earlier, when we looked at the, uh, the word of substitution, we looked at the fact that at that moment, there was a separation between Heavenly Father and, uh, and Jesus. There was, Jesus was separated momentarily. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Instead of Father, which Jesus normally referred to, G, or to God as a Father. But at this point, judgment is over. The penalty of sin is done. It's paid for. The substitute sacrifice is over. Reconciliation has been complete at this moment. And so Jesus returns to a loving term, and he says, Father, Daddy. Now, what do we know about God as our Father for us? We understand that unlike a human father who may be unreliable or inconsistent or petty or selfish at times, none of us are perfect, none of, our dad, none of us as fathers are perfect, but our heavenly Father, our loving Father, He's close to us. He's not distant. He has not abandoned us. He's consistent. He's not moody or fickle. Thank the Lord. He's competent. He can handle anything. He's caring. He's compassionate. And His love is so great that He sees everything and He's powerful. He helps us if we trust Him and that He has a plan for each and every one of us to prosper, to be happy. The benefits are, are incredible. If you look in your Bible uh, to Psalm chapter 103, verse 13, why don't you uh, flip there with me. Psalm 103. Listen to what it says about our Heavenly Father. Psalm 103, verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children. How many dads do we have here? Uh, just uh, raise your hand. Yeah, lots of dads. How many of us, most of the time, we have compassion for our kids? We want to see our kids succeed. We want to see our kids loved and cared for. And when someone's in our kid's face, uh, we, we're going to defend our kids. We're, we're going to love them. We're going to have compassion toward them. It says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord, our heavenly God, has compassion on those who fear him. It reminds us no matter what we're going through, we have a Father who is perfect and He loves us deeply. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Just by a quick note, next week is Father's Day. 
Don't forget to honor your fathers, all right? And next week, uh, Julie, your dad's going to be here uh, preaching the word, and uh, I'm excited uh, about that, and uh, that is going to be wonderful. So not only does Jesus love me, but number two, I have a heavenly father who can be trusted. I have a heavenly father who can be trusted. I can trust him with what I am going through. See, there's a question we all have to answer, no matter where we are in our life, is who do you trust? Who are you going to trust determines if you're going to be happy or miserable, if you're going to be successful or failure, if you're going to be useful in your life, or if you're just going to waste your life away. Who do you trust? Now, there's options. There are things in this world that we could put our trust in. Certainly, we could put our trust in our governmental system, maybe Congress or our president, things like that. I'm not sure that's a good idea. I'm not recommending that. We, there are people that put their trust in media, the things that they hear on the radio or the things they hear on the nightly news. There are others that will put their trust in popular cultural opinion. But I'll tell you, that changes second to second, doesn't it? By the time one thing's hot, it's out. And, uh, and so I don't think that's really a great thing to put your trust in. How many would say, well, I trust myself. I'm going to put my trust in myself. Don't raise your hand because if you do, you're stupid. (laughs) I've been listening to Dave Ramsey a lot lately. Because if you trust yourself or trust your emotions, your emotions are going to lie to you. Emotions lie. They manipulate In my suggestion, if you're going to entrust your life, your future, if you're going to yield, if you're going to commit your way to the Lord, if you're where it says here, I commit to someone or something, you better make sure that that person or that thing has your best interest in mind all the time. You want to make sure that that person knows everything. You want to make sure that that person is perfect. And you certainly want to make sure that that person will never lie to you. Well, that kind of limits our options, doesn't it? To God. Psalm 33 verse 4 says that everything that God does is worthy of our trust. We can trust our Heavenly Father. Whatever you entrust or commit to God, you can count on. There's a question I have. What do you need to trust God with today? What you're facing today, what is it in your life that you need to surrender and to put your trust in Him today? I think the answer is whatever you are worrying about, whatever concerns you today, whether it's your job or raising your kids or maybe your wife or maybe a sickness, an illness, where are you worrying as I was studying and looking into this, I, I, there was a writer that said that worry is basically practical atheism. And I, when I first read that, I was like, it kind of jumped out at me and I said, what is that? As I looked and as I thought about it a little more, worry is practical atheism. It's like acting like God does not exist if you worry. It's acting like God cannot be trusted if you are a worrier. It, 
Worry is unbelief. It's like those 7,000 promises that we talked about in the decade of destiny, the things that we can take to the bank in God's word about our lives, like they're not true. They might as well not have been written. And the antidote for worry, when you do worry, when you don't trust, when you are acting like God doesn't exist, is Proverbs 16.3. Commit and trust your ways to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Interesting, interesting passage here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Uh, Paul is in, in Rome, he's in prison, and he's suffering. And in verse 12 it says, that, I, that is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed. Why is he not ashamed even though he's suffering? He says, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted or committed to him for that day. It's a daily choice if we're going to trust our Heavenly Father. Paul chose to put his faith, to put his trust in God. And I would challenge you, when you are facing difficulty and stress and tough times, to trust your heavenly Father. The third thing we need to remember is that I have, you have, a heavenly Father who is doing things behind the scenes. Let me explain this. It says there in Luke, it says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. My spirit implying that we are more than just a body. We are not just material. We are not just natural. There is an unseen spiritual realm that is working behind the scenes in all of our lives that we cannot see. This is really important. We are spirit. In fact, when we die, our spirit lives forever. And, and we look forward to spend an eternity with heaven, in heaven with a new glorified body. Because we're not just body, because we're spirit, there's a spiritual realm to life that we cannot see. God is working behind the scenes in your life. He's orchestrating things that we cannot always understand. Job certainly didn't understand it. Turn with me to Job chapter 23. Job suffering like no one else. Uh, and no other example in the Bible uh, is greater when it comes to suffering. And listen to what Job says in a confident trust in his heavenly Father. This is interesting. In verse, uh, ch chapter 23, verse 9, it says, When God, <laughs> he's talking about God here, when God is at work in the north, he says, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. In other words, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm looking for God in my circumstance, and I can't see him to the north. When, he, when he's in the south, I can't see him. I can't get a glimpse of him. But listen to what it says. It says, but he knows, but God knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. Wow. The problem you are facing, the stress, the trouble, the tough times are oftentimes 
a test to purify so you can become like pure gold. And oftentimes, we do not understand in the season. You know, it's interesting, and, and really, this has been my experience, that, that we are tested in every phase of our lives. God wants us to continue to put our trust in Him. Whether it's that dream stage where we're saying, God, speak to me about the future, or the time we're making decisions, there is often a test. Or when there's delays, there's often tests or difficulties or dead ends. Even when we're experiencing victory or deliverance, there's often a test in those seasons. But again, I love the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians, and I want you to turn there with me. You might want to underline this in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Listen to Paul as he's experiencing some of the toughest times of his life. Listen, it says, for our light and momentary troubles. Hold on just a second. What is he talking about, light and momentary troubles? Turn over to, or just one page, it's on the same page for me, in chapter 6. What kind of troubles was he in? He was in troubles, hardships, and distresses. Verse 5 in, in chapter 6. In beatings, imprisonment, in riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, in hunger, impurity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in, in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine. The list goes on. He was experiencing some tough and difficult times. And it says there back in chapter 4, verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. Why? That far, far outweighs them all. Why? So we can fix our eyes on what is not seen but on what, no, I read that wrong. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, the spiritual realm, the things that we don't necessarily understand. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The point is, is that there are things happening in our lives that we don't always understand, we don't always see. But in those moments, we can trust that there's a Heavenly Father working, doing things behind our back, so to speak, to help us. The last thing is this, that I have a Heavenly Father. The thing that I need to remember is I have a Heavenly Father who can handle anything I give Him. Anything. And I kind of saved this to last. I know it says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But let's look at that idea, into your hands. It's an expression of love and of care. It's an expression of trust and God's ability. I asked how many are fathers here. If you are a father and you've had this opportunity, I know, because every father I've ever met, at one point or another, you ask your kids to jump to you, whether it's in a pool or off a deck or uh, whatever, and saying, hey, I will catch you off a mountain, whatever, you know, whatever the case might be. But our hands as fathers, our hands are able to, make, to catch our kids. 
Otherwise, we wouldn't ask them to. And we tell our kids, trust me, jump. And once they do, then they want to do it 100 times, right? <laughs> because it's fun. But once they trust. You know, I've done this lots of times with my kids. You put my hand up to theirs, and, you know, when they're little, you know, their hands are like this big. And then they grow and grow. Just recently, Reagan and I were like, hey, check this out. You know, your hands are growing. I couldn't almost put my fingers over hers. And my kids would say, man, Dad, your hands are big. I don't have that big of hands, but think about God's hands. How big are God's hands? He's got the whole world in his hands. Someone should write a song about that, right? (laughs) But listen, when we have the hand of God on our lives, the result is that we're protected we're successful, we're blessed, we're anointed. doesn't mean our life is going to be perfect, but it is a whole lot of fun. You want the hand of God on your life to be in his hands. Why? Why would we want to be in God's hands? It's because difficult times are inevitable. Difficult times Difficult seasons are inevitable. I'm going to ask uh, a lovely young couple, Matt and Cindy, to join me. And they're, oh, and they're going to talk about a difficult season in their lives that they faced a few years back and then just how God has really uh, taken control of that whole situation. This is Matt and Cindy Biller. I will try very hard not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, Our word of trust starts with a promise that God gave to me specifically. Um, One night I had been praying and um, doing my devotions. This is now probably about seven and a half, maybe eight years ago. And I was just reading Psalms 128, something I had probably read a bunch of other times before. But um, God spoke to me. And the psalm is, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, and your son will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. When I read that, I immediately started crying because I had been told that it would either be impossible or very difficult for me to be able to have kids. Um, Matt was in school at the time. We weren't really at the point of trying and to be honest I wasn't even really that worried about it I really did just have a sense that it would be okay but um, as I read that I just prayed a prayer that only God heard I never shared it with Matt um, and I just prayed Lord please don't let us not have kids and don't let it be because of me because I have a man who loves you who fears you we were starting to talk about it Matt was ending the year of school and um It was something that was starting to get on my heart. And um, I just prayed to the Lord and kind of let it go. Um, The next day, though, can you hold that for me? Um, The next day, I happened to come home from from lunch. Matt was a student at the seminary. We were living in Springfield, Missouri. And a woman in his class who had never met me, didn't know my name, didn't know my face, really didn't even know Matt, had a word. And she just came up to Matt and said, I need to talk to your wife. I had happened to be home then. We lived in a little tiny married housing, all like 400 square feet. 550 square feet. Yeah. We lived in the same apartments. Evelyn's lived in it. It was awesome. (laughs) 
Um, good times there. Anyways, um, I went over to the seminary, which was just up the hill from there, mm-hmm. and this woman um, told me that that morning she had just been praying, and the Lord put Matt's wife on her heart. She didn't even know my name. Mm. And basically, she proceeded to tell me that, um, you know, she didn't know if God was going to heal me or do a miracle, but that I would be able to have children. But the part that was so amazing was that she looked at me and she said, and God really wants you to know that he's doing this for you because he loves you, Mm. not for your husband, not for Matt, but for you. Mm. That was an answer from my father God in heaven above letting me know that he loves me. He heard my prayer, and that was something that this woman could not have known. So that was a little bit of history. Fast forward a year and a half later, and at a routine doctor's visit, surprise, I'm pregnant and didn't know it. Um, And 26 weeks later, uh, much to our surprise, Nate was born. I hadn't even hit my third trimester. They have absolutely no idea why. I was sent home from the, it was a Sunday morning, I remember, we went to James River Assembly of God, and I just didn't feel right, went to the hospital, it's just Braxton Hicks, don't worry about it, go home, you'll be fine, Mm. sent home with no restrictions, and uh, we were back probably eight or nine hours later, I was fully dilated, and I just remember a nurse looking at me and saying, things are going to progress pretty quickly from here, and we had no idea what she was talking about. Mm what do you mean? She said, your baby is coming. So emergency C-section, and here is little Nathaniel Allen. Mm -hmm. Nathaniel means gift from God, and Allen means handsome. (laughs) He was our handsome gift from God. That is my hand. That is a quarter. He was two pounds, six ounces, 14 inches long, and we had no idea the road that we were about to travel what was going to face us. Um, I mean, just completely unprepared to leave a baby at the hospital. Mm. So life pretty much returned to a new normal for us. Um, I'm not going to lie. I was mad at God. I thought, Lord, you promised this child to me. And what kind of promise is this? I mean, I didn't know if he was going to live, if he was going to die. In the long term, would he be okay? Would he be able to walk, crawl, talk? I mean, babies aren't born at 26 weeks usually. And, um, but you know what? God was faithful. And there just came a point where um, we had to hold God to his word. Because it says in the Bible, if our earthly fathers know how to good, give good gifts, how much more so does our Father in heaven? So we stayed in the NICU for 88 days. God was faithful. He had no surgeries. All the big problems that preemies have, I mean, it was definitely has been a long road of just watching and waiting. Would he be able to walk? And then he'd walk. You know, all of those things, just waiting and having to trust and to pray Hmm. that God would just be who God says that he is and Hmm. that God would be faithful and true to the promise that he had made to us. And, um, that's one of my favorite ones. That was close to the end of this day. He smiled first for daddy. Yes, figure. that's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, after 88 days, he came home. Awesome. He was still just a little buddy. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> and uh, he just, Nate just celebrated his sixth birthday. Yeah. As you can see. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he, he really is perfectly fine. Um, and the scripture that we often think of is um, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son a man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And that little boy is a fulfillment of a promise Amen. that God gave to me, gave to Matt. And you know what? Against all odds, he is perfectly fine. Amen. It was just on, um, he just had his birthday last Sunday. And on Monday, he went to a new pediatrician, which is always fun because you tell them that you have a 26-week preemie and they're going, is he okay? And uh, he just went through all the questions. Does he have asthma? And I'm like, no. Does he have glasses? No. How does he do in school? Can he, you know, most 26-week babies can't put concepts together. He's fine. And he really is. Praise the Lord. Six years later, he is, he is still our little miracle. Awesome. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Thanks for sharing that. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. A word of trust. And Matt and Cindy certainly had to trust the Lord. Melissa, why don't you come? I have two more scriptures I just want to read. The one's out of the Living Bible, which I don't normally read, but I love the way that it, it says this. Um, it just talks about how we can trust God. We can really rely on God. Uh, when Paul was uh, ready to kick the bucket, so to speak, in his darkest hour, Listen to what it says in the Living Bible, 2 Corinthians 1, chapter eight, or, uh, verses 8 and 9. It says this, it says, I think you ought to know, dear brothers, about the hard times that we went through in Asia. We were really crushed and overwhelmed and feared we would never live through it. That's how severe the, the pain and the trial was. We felt we were doomed to die and, and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves kind of like Matt and Cindy, powerless. I mean, what can you do? Then it says, but that was good. What? But that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us, for he can even raise the dead. Wow. Wow into the hands of God, we trust. Psalm 31, verse 5, is where Jesus is repeating, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was almost like a, like a bedtime prayer in that day for the Jewish people. Jesus would have grown up saying that phrase, and it's found in Psalm 31.5, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But listen in the message paraphrase, another version that's very interesting. I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, devotional reading out of the message. It says this in verse 5. It says, I put my life into your hands. You won't drop me. You'll never let me down. You saw my pain and you disarmed my tormentors. You didn't leave me in the clutches, but gave me room to breathe. I love that. Gave me room to breathe. It says, be kind to me, God. 
I'm in deep, deep trouble again. Are any in trouble today? Maybe. It says, I've cried my eyes out. I feel howl inside. My life leaks away, groan by groan. My years fade out of size, out in size. My troubles have worn me out, turned my bones to powder. And then in verse 14, it says, Desperate, I throw myself on you. You are my God. Hour by hour, I place my days in your hands, safe from the hands. Get me out to get me. Warm me, your servant, with a smile. Save me because you love me. As I read that and talked about being at the end of my rope and being at the, you know, in a situation where there's trouble or great pain or problems. And I thought of how many of us may this morning be worried about something, fearful. We may be afraid or scared. Maybe we're facing some big decisions or we're stressed out to, to the limits. Maybe we're here this morning and we're angry, we're bitter. Maybe this morning you're here and you're confused. Maybe you're here this morning and you're lonely. Maybe you're ashamed or you're filled with regret. Could we say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? This morning, if you're away from the Lord and you need to, to surrender your life to the Lord, I'm going to encourage you in just the next moment to respond and to come forward when others come forward and, and get your heart right with the Lord. Don't leave here without settling where you are with the Lord today. But I want to speak to the masses today. Because I believe that today there are some people here that are really struggling, really in a difficult spot. There may be others that are stressed out, maybe angry, confused, whatever the case might be. And I want you to know that we have a, a Heavenly Father that loves us, that can be trusted. We have a Heavenly Father who can do anything. And we have a Heavenly Father who's working behind the scenes on our behalf. But we need to commit, to entrust, to surrender to what His plans are for us. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I want to live my life surrendered in that way where you would live to say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, my life. I want you just to stand right where you are. If you need to get your life right with the Lord, I want you to stand as well at the same time. But just right now, just right where you are saying, that's me. I want to commit my life to the Lord into your hands. I, that's the way I want to live each and every day. Just stand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who else? Say, yep, that's me. Yeah, and you say, hey, that's the way I live. That's okay, stand. Uh, into your hands I commit my 
Spirit. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing this morning. If you're standing, or even if you're not, I'm going to ask that you would move from where you are and uh, just to come and to spend a moment with the Lord. Maybe you turn around in your seat, that's fine too, but we want to turn this place into a place of prayer. A place where we can say, we're, we're settling this. I'm going to surrender my life to you no matter what. And if you are facing a difficult season, a difficult time, please know that God is waiting for you just to say, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Let's move, let's pray, let's find a spot. And let's, Lewis, uh, if you would lead us in a song, and, uh, and then we'll pray together. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You paid the Thank price. you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You count the stars and you call them by name. The skies proclaim, God, you Yeah. 
Father, I first pray for those that are in difficult times. Lord, that are struggling, that are, feel like they're behind the eight ball. Lord, I pray for those with big decisions ahead that may be afraid or worried about certain things in their lives, their kids, their job, a project. I pray for those that are confused, Lord, those that may be lonely, those that are ashamed, or those that may be filled with regret. And Lord, we declare that we put our trust in you. We say like Jesus did as he hung on the cross, Father, into your hands we commit our spirits. We give you our lives, God. We trust you right where we are. And Lord, I pray that it will change the way we see. Lord, we look to you. We fix our eyes on you this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would help us. And Lord, I pray for those as well that are just saying, Lord, I want to live my life this way. Completely surrendered, trusting you in every circumstance, whether it's in my finances or in my relationships, in my schooling, with my job, with my extracurricular activities. Lord, wherever I go, whatever I do, I put my trust in you. And Lord, I pray that as we live in such a fashion, Lord, that you will bless us, that you will help us, God. You will put your hand upon our lives. And as you do, Lord, your word promises prosperity and health and wholeness. Your word promises joy and peace. And so, Lord, we, we rest in your word and we trust in you as we commit our ways to you we commit our plans to you Lord we ask all these things for your glory for your honor in Jesus wonderful name and all God's people said Amen, amen. I want you to stand and I want to sing this one more time. God, you reign. God, you reign. God, you reign. Come on, let's sing it out. God, you reign forever and ever. Forever and ever. God, you reign. Let's sing it again together now. God, you reign. Let's shout it out. God, you reign forever and ever in our lives, Lord. God, you reign. Hallelujah.
God bless you.